when I was a kid in school, uh, elementary school, everybody wanted to be the line leader. Did anybody else in the room want to be the line leader in school? All right, the way it worked in my school is that they rotated through. You thought it was something special. Ten years later, I figured out it was just in order, right? Oh, it's my day. And that day, you got to be the person that led everybody. Everybody stood behind you, and you were so proud. And you'd lead everybody to the cafeteria. You'd lead everybody to the media center. And you, you just thought you were special because you were the leader. Uh, another game you played as a child, or maybe you played as an adult. It would be kind of weird. But you played as a child is follow the leader. You say to a group of people, okay, I'm going to, you follow me, and you take a big step left, and they take a big step left. You take three steps forward, two steps back, and they follow everything that you do. Every one of those, a line leader or follow the leader, it's simply saying, hey, follow the pattern that I'm going to show, that I'm going to exemplify in front of you. I'm going to take these steps. You follow me. We began this summer uh, a sermon series called Pattern. It began June 18th. Uh, It is for the entirety of the summer going all the way through August where we are examining two questions really that prevail for the entire summer and they are these two questions what pattern do we follow and what pattern are we displaying what pattern do we follow and what pattern are we displaying with our loves and as we look through this we're saying god if we love the lord with all of our heart our soul our minds and we love our neighbor as ourselves then we've got to realize that we're setting a pattern for our neighbors we're setting a pattern for our co-workers we're saying hey as Paul said in Corinthians, he says, you follow me, you imitate me as I follow Jesus Christ. Follow the leader. Follow me and I'm going to lead you to Jesus Christ. And this is the command for us to be a part of setting patterns for other people. But in all honesty, we're, we're taking this summer to say, okay, what kind of patterns are we setting? What are some tools that we need to be disciple makers, to be pattern setters for the people in our world. And so thus far, we've looked at a couple of them. Just review those very quickly. The first one was this. Are we praying for those whose whose lives, the people who are already a part of our lives that are spiritually lost, that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Are we desperate to bring people to Jesus? Are we desperate to bring people to Jesus? Is one pattern that we need to set about in our lives and say, are we desperate to do this? Then last Sunday, we explored the calling from Jesus, the command from Jesus, that every single one of us should be making disciples. And so we had the question last Sunday, are we currently disciple makers? Are we saying to other people, are we looking around our lives and saying, you follow the example that I'm following of Christ, and I'm going to lead you to Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at another model, another pattern this morning for us um, that I believe many of us do and many of us want to do better, and that's studying the Bible. So in just a few minutes, we're going to look at this message, and we're going to look at this past week for a couple of different purposes. But before we do that, I want to, I want to show you something here. Um, <clears throat> This is a piece of plumbing, and it's, it's an important piece. All right? I'm going to explain to you why I have this in my hand. About five years ago, <clears throat> I, I, I had a leak in my shower. I'm not a plumber. And so I went to Lowe's, and I Googled, right? Because Google tells you how to do everything. And so I Googled leak in the shower handle. So I went to Lowe's. I took a picture of my shower handle. I took a picture of the shower handle off to expose part of this. In case you've never looked at your shower handle, it looks something like this. And so I, I took it to Lowe's. I took the picture to Lowe's. And I said to the guy in the plumbing department, I said, man, my shower's leaking. He says, no problem. Easy fix. Easy fix. 
He said, you, you, there's a seal in there. You pop this piece off in there. There's a little rubber seal. You, 27 cents, pop it in there, put it back on, no leak. Great, go home, take off the handle, take off the seal, put in the washer, put it back together, turn the water back onto the house, important part of the story, turn the water back onto the house, no leak, woo, turn the handle off, no leak. But then I hear behind the shower, drip, 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 drip. Drip, 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 drip. Take the handle back off. Take the little cover off. I look back in there. And right about here, water was not just dripping. It, it was a nice little water flow coming out of here. At this point, I called a plumber. Friend of mine, I said, hey, I, I, this is what I did. And he said, well, probably what you did is when you turn one thing this way, you're supposed to hold it with another wrench so it doesn't strip it and it doesn't, make it leak so the plumber came to my house he says well i can't fix it from this side so i gotta cut into your kitchen wall cut a hole in your kitchen wall which is still there by the way i mean we've patched it but we've never painted it. it's a constant reminder and 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 so he goes in and he has to cut this entire piece off and he says here keep this (laughs) this is a reminder to me that just because the guy at Lowe's said it was easy, and just because Google said I could do it, I am not a trained plumber. Many of you have been in church your entire lives. Some of you have just started coming to church. And you hear a pastor say, go home, study the Bible. Take this passage, or we say to new believers, we'll say to them, hey, you, you need to study the Bible. And they say, well, how do I study the Bible? Well, take the book of John. It's a great one. Go home and read it. Take the book of James. It's extremely practical. You'll get that one. Just take it home. I tell you what, here's a great idea to a new believer or to someone who's been a believer. Here's a great Bible app. If you'll read this and follow it, you'll know how to study the Bible. Here's this Bible study. Come join me immediately. You'll, you'll know exactly what to do. Or on January 1st, Here's a Bible reading plan, and it starts in Genesis. And by about mid-January, you're going to get to Numbers, and you're going to quit. And just because we and I have made the mistake of past, as, as a pastor numerous times to say, here's why God's Word is important, now go home and study it, and expect you to be a theological genius. And expect you to say, now I know the pastor told me it was important, Now I've become a Bible student. Just because I told you and just because I show you a video and just because I say go do it doesn't make us and doesn't give us the tools that we need to go home and do that. You can go home and Google it. You can go home and look it up. And so here's what I want us to do this week. I want us to to look at this message from two perspectives. First, I want to take a few minutes and talk about why studying the Bible is important right? Just a quick review. But then I want to take uh, the latter part of the message, and I want to walk through one of our pattern passages, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And all I've done, this is very foreign to me in preparing for a sermon, all right? Only thing I used for Romans 12, 1 and 2 that we're going to see in just a moment was my Bible, one online tool, and a dictionary. And I want to walk you through this morning how to study the Bible. And you say, Pastor, why are we doing this? Well, on Thursday, we put out a poll, and about 100 people took this poll, 
And here's what the results were. 78% of people said that they have given up at some point studying the Bible. You've been studying the Bible, 78% of people said, I give up. Then the next question was this. How uh, has, ever, has someone ever taught you how to study the Bible? 51% of people said yes. 49% of the people said no. I don't know if they're churchgoers. I don't know who they are. It was anonymous. But it leaves me the responsibility to periodically step up here and say to you, if 51% of you said yes, then I'm going to take this half of the room and say, nobody's ever taught this group of people ever to study the Bible. And this group that says yes should be more than willing for this group to learn how. So if you already know and you've already got a way that you study the Bible, don't tune me out this morning and say, oh man, this is elementary. Use it as a reminder. But if you've never learned to study the Bible, we're going to walk through this together because statistics are telling us these aren't foreign people. These are some of you guys saying, I have never learned to study the Bible. So we're going to walk through those things this morning. But first I want to walk through why is it important to study the Bible very quickly. 2 Timothy chapter 3. What is the purpose of God's word? All scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, all scripture is God-breathed, breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All scripture is God-breathed, inspired by God, written by the hands of men, yes, but inspired by God, bridging 1,500 years minimum of history between one writer and another, who are writing, and they're all pointing the same story, the story of God, and they're all writing collectively, as we see towards the end of, of, of Scripture, they're all pointing towards Jesus Christ. Every single author, every single writing, all of it has hints of leading towards pointing to who Jesus Christ is. In 2 Timothy, Paul is writing... He's a mature believer. He's writing to a young pastor, and he's saying, listen, let me just remind you what the purpose of God's word is. And here's a few things he says. It's for teaching. It gives you instruction. It's for reproof. It's not a word that we use every day, but it's, again, another way to train or give instruction. God's word is for correction. It means to be corrected, not hard. It is for training, which means to be disciplined, training a child to bring maturity. None of these are hard for us to really break down. It is training in righteousness. So Paul is telling young Timothy, listen, there's some incredible purposes for God's word. It's for training you. It's for correcting you. It's for disciplining you. It's for turning your heart to the things of God so that you may be found complete, equipped for every good work, for everything that God desires you to do. His word is there to prepare you, to train you, to teach you, to launch you. But we also see another powerful realization of God's word. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 16, we're going to look at, but just to start with verses 12 through 13. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from its sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. One of the main reasons when you're looking in Scripture, one of the main reasons people do not examine the Bible is that we don't like being told we need to change. We don't like something that we read exposing in our hearts and in our minds a sinful behavior, a sinful 
action, a temptation that we continue to bring into our lives. The wording here from this writer is the Bible is living and active. It means from the word in which we derive the word energy. It means that it is moving. It says its meaning is moving towards a desired result. God's word is living and active. It is moving towards a desired result. It is not to leave you where you are. It is moving you. It is changing you. It is correcting you. It is pointing things out in your lives and in my life that lead us to a direction to be used by God. And know this, God's word will expose our sin and it will expose the intentions of our heart. Because what does the writer of Hebrews says? He said, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. The word for sword here is not a long three-foot sword. It's a dagger. A dagger can't be used to reach somebody three feet away. A dagger must be used very close, up, up close and personal. God's word is not at a distance. It is, to be, it is designed to, to reach into, to be plunged into the body and into the heart. It penetrates our convictions, our thoughts, our desires, deep in our spirit. Yes, even your sinful thoughts. It hits those and we don't like it. We get uncomfortable, we squirm. It's the same physical feeling that you get when you go to the dentist. At least it is for me. You go to the dentist, oh, you're just getting a cleaning today, everything's great. Then they take out that little pokey thing and they start poking around your mouth and they're, and they're and they're looking, and they're prodding, and, and just a word, if, you, if you've never encountered a cavity in your mouth, if they ever poke that little thing in your tooth and it sticks, it's a bad moment, okay? They kind of stick, and you go, oh, goop, all right? Happens to me all the time, and, and they, every once in a while, though, they're taking that little thing, some of you are squirming, all right? And, and they're prodding around your mouth, and they hit something with that little tiny pokey thing, and it makes you jump out of your seat, which means it makes you no longer want to ever go back to that seat, that's what happens to me every time that I go to the dentist, all right? Just, it just happens. I got bad teeth. And every time they poke and they prod and they hit something, I go, I don't like the way that feels. God's word, it says it is a two-edged sword. It is a dagger, and it is used in proximity close to you. Why? To, to examine your hearts. And at times, it's going to reach into your heart. It's going to reach into your mind, the things that you're reading, the things that you're bringing in your mind, and it's going to poke at one of those things and go, ow. Leave that alone. That's deep recessed in my past, and I don't want to address that. I don't want to deal with that. And every you read the past again, it pokes in at it again. It says, no, you got to deal with this. you got to get this out of your heart. you got to get this out of your mind. Scripture is, yes, for teaching, for training, for correction, for proof, to lead us to a life of right living, but it happens close up, but it also leads us to confession, don't hear me this morning saying God's word is just to point out your, your flaws and your sins. No, it, it is there for us to see that it is there for confession and repentance. J.B. Lightfoot, commentary, once wrote, the Bible heals completely where it wounds most deeply. And it gives life where it is first killed. God's word is a powerful tool that is living and active and it will pierce into our hearts in close proximity. God's word will expose our sin and lead us to healing through God's grace and through mercy. See, Hebrews goes on in verse 14 through 16. It says, since then, 
We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, who we sang about, first song. Jesus, Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Referring to Jesus coming and living, being tempted in human flesh, but never sinning. Let us then with confidence. Let us then, read this with me, verse 16. Let us then with confidence. Let's back up and read. We get the word confidence. Let's have a little confidence, all right? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God's word will pierce to the heart, but God has sent his son Jesus Christ as a payment for our sin. He is a perfect high priest. He is a perfect one to take and pour out our hearts to. And it says, listen, go to him with confidence. Hold on to your confession with great confidence. When God's word convicts us with great confidence, Scripture says, let us draw near to the throne of grace. This morning, if you've read something in God's word recently, or even this morning, you've read something and you go, man, that is poking really near to something going on in my life. That is really drawing close to something I'm dealing with. Then let me also help you to bring you to this point of this scripture. Approach the throne of grace with confidence. Come knowing that you have a Savior who has sacrificed himself as a payment for your sins, enabling you not to come with your head down, shaking your head, going, woe is me, but to come holding your confession. Verse 14 says, coming to the throne and saying, I'm coming to the throne of grace with confidence. Because I believe you're going to forgive me. And I want to meet your grace, God, and your mercy for it to be poured out over me. Grace and mercy. Scripture is going to expose our sin, but it's going to lead us to grace and mercy as we study, as we examine God's word. God's word lead us, leads us to this place. Now I realize that's a quick little 12-minute examination of why we need to study God's word, why it's important to our lives. But what I want to do the remainder of our time this morning is I want to walk through Romans 12, 1 and 2, not as a textbook, but as guardrails, as instructions for your life. There were five passages that you could have studied this week in the pattern guide. If you don't have one, you can grab one out at the next step desk uh, for the rest of the summer. But you had five passages you could have chosen from and walked through each day this week. I just picked one for us to walk through this morning, and it's Romans 12, 1 and 2. So all that I'm going to use for this next segment I promise, I didn't use outside commentaries. I didn't use uh, old messages, old sermons. I didn't look up 16 sermons online and listen to them and read them. I used my Bible. I used one online resource that I'm going to introduce you to, and I used an online dictionary. That's all I used. And I want to show you how using the guide that's on page 61 and 62 in that resource, how you can study the Bible. Because I don't want 50% of you walking out of here going, man, I, I don't know. I'm also not naive to go 15 minutes over the next 15 minutes. It's going to cure you of going, oh, I got this covered. This is a beginning place for you this morning. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I want to pray before we even walk through this again and read through this again. God, you know I've already done this work at home, and you know I've already sat down with you, and you've taught me things and you've shown me things, but God, as we work through this together, let us not only see the things that we can learn from this, but God, I pray it's an encouragement to someone in this room who says, I, I'm scared to death of studying the Word. It makes me so nervous. I just, I'm overwhelmed when I come to it. God, I pray that today there is transformation in people learning to study your Word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Step one that's laid out for you on page 61 and 62 asks some questions. So what it does, you, you read your passage, then you get to step one. Step one asks this, what does God's word say? It encourages you in here, and, in, and again, these all are in your worship guide this morning. If you don't want to buy the pattern guide, I outline some of these questions for you in the worship guide this morning you can, and the passages that you can follow along with. What does God's word say? At this point, you might want to reread the verses a couple times. Jot down the main facts of the verse of things that you've read. Does something, as you're reading through this, that you read really grab your attention? For you, not for me. Does something grab your attention and you desire to, that God may be desiring to teach you that you jot down, that you write? So when I read this passage, when I was studying this on my own, I, I read through this several months ago as we walked through this as a staff and again through this week. The phrases, the two phrases that jumped out at me were conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And I just simplified it in my notes, in my pattern journal, conform versus transform. The main facts of this passage, going back to verse 1, is this. Someone is appealing to me to do something. Appealing to me. Someone is coming to me. Then it goes into live your life as a living sacrifice. If we're honest, we don't talk like that very often. So I wrote down living sacrifice may be confusing. Next thing is God's will is addressed. There's a question everybody wants to know. What's the difference between conformed and transformed? So then here's what I did. It doesn't have to be the way that you would do it. I defined some terms, even though I may know their definition. I, I went to a resource, and here's the resource that um, I've been introduced to, a resource some of you may use. It's an interlinear Bible resource online, all right? Uh, and it, you just go to Bible Hub and then click on interlinear. And what it does is it gives you uh, the Greek word, I'm not saying you got to be a Greek scholar, it gives you the word, it gives you the translation, and you can click on any of these links. So I went to the word appeal first in the dictionary, just a regular Merriam-Webster's dictionary website. And here's what appeal said, no, an earnest plea, it is a legal proceeding by which a case is brought before a higher court. I appeal to you, I appeal to you as an earnest plea. But then, in that resource that I showed you online, if I click on the word appeal, if I click on that first word appeal, then it's going to show me how this is used in Scripture. It's going to show me that it's used 20 times. It's going to show me that it says the word appeal means to beg or to pray or to encourage or to appeal. It's going to look like that. It's going to break down this word for you. And so as I'm reading through this again, I go, I appeal. Someone is urging me, someone is begging me to do something. 
Someone is calling me into action. Again, using these, only these resources. And then I walk through the word living. Definition for living. I am alive to experience God's gift of life. Sacrifice, an offering. Prescribed by God and accepted by God because it is offered on its own terms. Conform versus transform. Conform literally means to follow the pattern. I didn't make that up just for the summer, right? Conform, follow the pattern. Transform, though, means to change the form, to go through the process of metamorphosis, to become like that which, with which you are spending time with. Ah, to be transformed. To become like that of which I'm spending time with, to be transformed. So then here's what I did. I rewrote from my notes, Romans 12, 1 and 2, with these definitions. You guys hanging in there with me? I know this is different for us, all right? Romans 12, 1 and 2. I am begging you, my dear friend, by the grace of God, present your entire being, your whole life, as an offering to God, the way that he describes you, holy and acceptable to God, which is your personal worship and your love for God. Do not follow the pattern of this world, but spend more time with God, let your mind be changed by God's word, and then you can test, check, make decisions, and know what is good for your life and God's will. Now, that's my writing. As you're walking through a passive scripture, if you've never studied the Bible, you look through these definitions, and then you just take some time, and you just rewrite it according to where you are at this point in your life. It may be way more honest with that. You may say, I still don't understand conform versus transform here. I still struggle with this word appeal. Step two, walking through these questions, what does God's word mean? Several ways that you can ask questions of a passive scripture, as you can with any other type of reading. Is there a promise for me to grasp? Is there a promise that God wants for me to grasp? Absolutely in this passage. If I follow and if I'm transformed by God's word, then I will be able to test what is good and acceptable. So there's a promise for me. There's a promise for you there in Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. If you study the word of God, if you continue to examine God's word, it's going to do what? It's going to give you the ability to discern, to be able to decide what's good and acceptable. Is there a warning to be heeded? Is there a command to be obeyed? Is there an example to be followed? Is there something to be avoided? All are questions that you and I can ask. Is there something to be avoided? Yes. Do not be conformed follow the pattern of God's word. Do not be conformed, follow the pattern of God's word. A truth about God, Jesus, or the Holy Spirit. The more I read through this passage, God is calling me to become a living offering for God to be able to use. The author here is begging of me. Paul is writing to the Romans. He's saying, I'm begging of you to realize your life is an offering. Now, when I wrote down my notes in my pattern journal i wrote to the side god's will man if there's ever a question that a pastor gets asked it's this pastor can you help me determine what god's will is for my life and i mean it's just a gigantic question right and you you look at somebody and you're like well i'd like to walk you through this let me guide you through this but here's an analogy if i'm training a high profile athlete then there are things in my life that i've got to get rid of that they have to get rid of. And there are things that they've got to place in their life to become that person. 
Too many people want to follow the will of God for their lives, but they don't want to follow the instruction of God's word to get them to the place to be able to know what it is. You see, this passage isn't confusing. It's not wrapped up in a lot of crazy words. It says, if you want to know God's will, then do what? Study his word, become a living sacrifice, then you'll be able to know, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, and then you'll be able to discern what is good and perfect. Then you'll be standing in the middle of where God desires you to be. It won't be a search. It won't be looking for, what, how do I know what it is? How do I know if this is not it? Find yourself. We want the results of being transformed, but we don't want to be transformed. We want the results of transformation of the mind. We want to know, just like I did years ago, we want the YouTube five-minute version of God's will without all the examination of our heart and our soul and our mind to become and place ourselves in the middle of God's will. That's where this passage keeps bringing me. Conform versus transform. Conform versus transform. What's the difference of being conformed, being transformed? What's the benefits of both of those? Step three, what does God's word mean to me? How does this lesson apply to me and the decisions in my life? What am I to do in response to this Bible reading today? Reword the lesson in the form of a question as a way to help us study the Bible that I can ask myself. Walk in obedience to what God has said to you. Conform versus transform. Conform versus transform. So here's the question that I ask of myself. When faced with a decision or a direction today, am I going to try to ask this question? Is this conforming or transforming me? Is this what I'm about to do? Is this what I'm about to take into my heart, my soul, my mind? Is this going to conform me to the pattern of this world or is it going to transform me by the renewal of my mind? My question was, when I come to something and I got to make a decision, I'm going to try. I'm going to do my best to ask of this, is this conforming me or transforming me? Conform, remain part of the ordinary or be transformed to become more like Christ. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2, and that's using a Bible, an online tool, and an online dictionary. That's spending time in prayer, asking God, God, would you show me, would you lead me, asking some questions of the passage, and then spending time jotting down some notes, asking some things of the passage that might be difficult, that might be confusing. The first half of the message today was how and why is God's word important? Why should I study God's word? It is because it will examine your heart and cut to the sinful habits in our lives and it will also bring us to the throne of grace with confidence. And how do we do this? We ask questions. We walk through this. Now, some of you in the room, I know you've been studying God's word for so long and you read through some of these questions you go, well, I mean, I guess that could work. It's not the way I do it and it's not. There's other ways, other questions to ask, other patterns for you to follow but this is just one. If 50% of you in the room are saying, man, I've never been taught how to study the Bible, I know it's a super quick thing to say, but in your worship guide this morning, there's some questions, there's some passages for you for this week to walk through to study God's word. Remember, I'm not trying to preach a sermon at you. 
I'm trying to prepare you to use your Bible, to use a journal, to use a dictionary, and just outline a pattern for you. If we want to be a disciple maker, to be burdened for those who are spiritually lost, and set a pattern for others to follow, then we've got to know how to study the Word. And my guess is many of us haven't been disciple-making because disciple-making requires us to teach them how to use God's Word. And if we've never been taught God's Word, then as a disciple-maker, I can't teach something I've never been taught. And so as a church... You may have been to other churches. You may have been to other backgrounds and other Sunday mornings or other uh, worship, small groups, experiences you've been in. And, and if you've never been taught to study God's Word, then this morning I just wanted to take some time today, a little bit out of the ordinary, and say here's one way, here's one passage, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Here's some words to define, some questions to ask so that we can walk out of here today with a little bit more confidence to study God's Word. Two questions to end our day. Have you ever taught someone how to study the Bible? If you've been studying the Bible for years, can I just ask you to take the tools that you've used, the wisdom that you have, sit down with another believer and just ask, has anybody taught you how to study the Bible? And there's a 50-50 chance they're going to say no. And if they say yes, well, show me how. If they say no, can I show you how I do it? It's not perfect. Have you, as a disciple maker, ever taught someone to study the Bible? Let's pray together this morning.